I'm more excited to be talking to you about task management. You are going to love it. We have to accept that tech is coming into the world and we have to prepare our, our pupils for the real world. This method is really a game-changing way of invigilating, to be honest. Welcome to the Surpass Community Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Surpass Community Podcast. I'm your host for today, Ben Brady, part of the marketing team here at BTL. And I'm joined today by Nathan Driver. Say hello, Nathan. Hello. Now, Nathan, you are, I always mix up um, the, the title for your teams because it's changed several <laughs> times while I've been here. You mm. are a technical author and trainer. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, yes, that is correct. Um, yeah. We've, we, yeah, kind of changed from the documentation team to the product communications and training team. That's um, right, yes. Yeah, so technical author and trainer. Brilliant stuff. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about the latest release of Surpass. So we know that internally as 1223. And uh, it's, well, currently November 2020. So the Surpass uh, 1223 update, I believe, is due to go out imminently, possibly has already, um, certainly by the time people are hearing this. And it was uh, quite an exciting update, wasn't it, really, Nathan? I think We've not got a lot to talk about in terms of the number of features, but the things that we're going to talk about today are some uh, pretty major developments. And, of course, this is an accompaniment to the webinar, the pre-release webinar that went out. Uh, that was presented by yourself and Jack Hobson, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, last week. So if anybody is listening to this thinking, oh, that sounds really interesting, but I'd, I'd like to see it in action, um, go along to surpass.com forward slash webinars and you'll be able to see, uh, uh, again, it should still be at the top of the page, but by the time you listen to this, might have to scroll a little bit and you'll see Nathan and Jack giving uh, full demonstrations of the things that we talk about today. So there's some really good stuff in there. Um, just to give us a quick overview then, Nathan, what, what did you discuss in the webinar for the upcoming release? What were the main topics? So I, I suppose the two kind of almost headline features were the new Surpass help site, mm -hmm. uh, which is releasing alongside alongside 1223. Award-winning help site. The award-winning Surpass help site, yeah, yeah. Um, which we, we, we'll talk about a little bit later, mm. but um, we're really proud of that and we think it's a really yeah, it interesting, useful addition. Thank you. Um, and then the other kind of headline feature was the new task type, which is a standard setting task. Mm -hmm. um, which is about all about kind of determining cut scores and, and, and things like that. So they were the two big ones. There were a few others. So we had a few new features around um, media in item authoring and different ways of using media in different question types, things like yep. that. Um, and we made some changes to item search and item lists as well. And um, yep. after they had quite a big overhaul in the previous release, we've just kept improving them. Um, so, yeah. They're the big ones. That's right, yeah. So again, uh, it's quite sounds quite short, but actually there's a lot to get through, so let's crack on. Mm. Um, and let's start with this new help site then. So obviously you guys have been involved in this uh, since the, the beginning, but my understanding, you've been working on this for the best part of, well, certainly the past year mm. in its main incarnation, um, but it, it's actually been going quite a bit longer than that, I think, hasn't it, um, as a project internally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I started two years ago at this point, I think, um, and it was 
being talked about at that point. We'd, we'd started to do the research. We'd started to talk to users. But as you said, I think it, it probably began properly um, about a year, year and a half ago. I think that's when the, the bulk of the work really it stopped being just, you know, a good idea and started becoming a, a, a reality. Um, and that is kind of realized in, in, in this release. Yeah. And I think there's uh, the key word that you put in there, you were talking to users and it's a really good example um the help site of just how, how much I think we've developed. I mean, anyone who's been listening to these podcasts or following our webinars for a while now will have seen how the, the UX team has grown, how the PCAT uh, product communication mm. training team has grown, uh, how we've evolved the the services that those teams deliver. You know, you're not just guys that kind of sit in the back um, and, you know, sit on your computers all day. You, you're very much involved with people. Yeah. There's a lot more research going on and really out there listening to what the users want from the, the software and then trying to make those improvements as we go. Yeah, um, and we, we've done that throughout the entire process with the, with the help site as well. It was... Before we had any kind of concept of what it would look like, it was right. Let's talk to users. Let's figure out what they don't like. What, where is the, mm. the old system not working? And then as we d began developing the new, the new help site, it was right. Which bits do you like? Which parts of this do you find useful? Should we be cutting things that aren't useful? Uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. And we, we're continuing to listen to users, even though it is, you know, it, it it's launched with 1223. We're constantly refining it and uh, and speaking to users. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I was going to bring up a bit later on, but I think now's a, a pertinent time to talk about that. So the the old system that this is replacing, essentially, mm. um, you know that that was tied into the surpass release schedule, wasn't it? So if you had to make a change, it's like you could go in and make that change, but you'd then have to wait possibly a couple of months for it to actually show. Whereas the, this new one has been designed in a way that you as a team can just go in, make the update. So immediately, as soon as anything is is changed in the product or you've got a, an improved version of an instructional video or something like that, you can just go on there, upload it, and it's there to see, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was a, it's a much more agile system that we've got at the moment. As you said previously, any documentation updates were tied to releases. So we might in January see that we were missing a full stop but we wouldn't be able to fix it until you know March or April which as a communications team is infuriating <laughs> um, whereas this you know if a customer points out or oh, you know I don't think this article fully explains something then we can get in there edit it put it through our review system and have those changes in place that day and um, so it's a yeah a much more agile system yeah and I, I think as well the um what the new system allows you to do in terms of, you know, the user interface elements so things like you talked about in the webinar and showed these on screen again, if people want to see it for themselves, but just little things that improve the user experience, like being able to use boxes to highlight different areas of the screen and really mm. show off what you're talking about. You know, it's not just a, I'm a 600 page thick book manual, is it? <laughs> where you've got to read everything. This is a really yeah. visual, really engaging uh, piece of, of technology that helps people to see how it's done in SPAS and then relate that to their actual experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that it it's funny that you should mention kind of 600 page books because the the old documentation system um even though you know it, it worked and customs got out of it what they what they needed um the software that we actually used to write it was designed for kind of paper manuals right it it wasn't yeah. necessarily the most appropriate thing for our for our system so yeah um we're we're in a much much better spot with it now yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to forget, I think, sometimes that even though we are a technology company and what we do is is very technical, a lot of our users might not necessarily be, um, you know, 100% computer literate and not, not understand the the full technical explanation sometimes. So it's, it's really good for that. Uh, the other thing that I just wanted to touch on as well that you demonstrated in the webinar, I thought, uh, was the new search functionality within mm. the, the help site now. So... I mean, I'm slightly biased. I think it's great. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's an investment in what we refer to in marketing as fuzzy search, I think. So if I yes. type in, uh, you know, multiple choice question, for example, it, it doesn't just say, well, here's that one phrase, does it? It brings up related mm-hmm. items. Can you, can you describe that a bit better than I can? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, it, it, it's, I, I suppose the situation that I always think of is is the new user, right? Where you're mm. you're new to surpass and you know what you want to create, but you don't necessarily know the the surpass related terminology for mm. it, right? Like you um may know, right, I want one of those questions where they get a checkbox and they can click like several checkboxes yeah. um f- to choose their answers. And fuzzy searching allows us or allows the user to search words kind of that they know would be related to that. So things like checkbox, even if that's not what we call it in Surpass, the search will return things related to that. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it means that for those users who know what they want, but don't know what it's called, they can find that information a lot, a lot easier without having to dig through pages and pages and pages. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really good uses for this actually. Again, because the you know the initial use of a help site is, oh, I can't remember how to do something. I'll go and check in the the documentation. Mm. But I, I can even see discussions around different organisations. You know, someone sat there and saying, we really want to improve this test, but we have to make sure it stays accessible. Let's say as an example, um, you know, Bob, can you remember which question types are, are fully accessible in in to pass mm. test delivery and Bob goes, well, actually, I can't remember, but I'll just nip on the help site, tap in, you know, accessible question type. And then that would bring up, you know, because we say in the documentation somewhere, this question type is accessible in the delivery. It, yeah. It's a good source of information for those office conversations as well. Um, okay. So the, the help site, I, I don't think we can get away without just talking a little bit more about the award you've won as well from the <laughs> ISTC. So we'll just pat ourselves on the back if you want to skip ahead two minutes, if you don't want to hear Nathan gush the praises <laughs> of his team. But I, it's it's very well deserved, in my opinion, um, with you guys, the design team and their input. Tell us a little more about the ISTC and what that actually means. You know, what, why was this an award winning site if it's, you know, it, it's just documentation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so um, the ISTC are the Institute of Scientific and Technical Communicators, I believe, mm-hmm. if I've got those words in the right order. Um, and they are essentially the UK, a UK body that represents, I mean, I guess, information design, documentation, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And every, yeah, every year they they 
give out several awards. So there's the overall award and then other categories. Um, and yeah, we, we won the, the overall award this year and it's, it's quite a prestigious one. Like when you look at companies that have won it in the past, it, mm. it's, you know, it's IBM and Vodafone and, um, a, a lot of really, really serious players. Yeah, and so we are, we, yeah, exactly. So we kind of, I think considering we're quite a, um, niche aren't we is a yeah yeah exactly we're kind of scrappy underdogs in 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 some ways at least the the documentation team is um i think you know we've done a a brilliant job to to be part of the conversation let alone to actually um to actually win the thing Um, yeah yeah, and and the judges were really really kind in their um in their praise um there was a lot of they, they they clearly noticed how much we'd actually listened to users throughout the process and hmm. the thoroughness of it, right? Like we, we didn't go into the project thinking this is the way we want to do it. And I think the judges realized that, that we created a, a documentation platform and a help site yeah. for the users rather than the thing that, you know, we wanted to Yeah, to the create. thing that we thought people wanted. Exactly. Hmm. That, that's brilliant. Um, okay, and so just to finish off then, if people out there want to check out this new help site for themselves, and let's face it, why wouldn't you after hearing that? Uh, it's help.surpass.com. Is is that correct? Just help.surpass.com? Yeah, help.surpass.com, or you can access it from any screen within Surpass. So the little question mark at the top right of each page that used to take you to the old help, that will now take you to the relevant um, page in the new site as well. So help.spass.com or the little question mark. Okay, so so the question mark jumps straight to the, the relevant section as well. It doesn't just land you at the homepage and leave you to your own devices. Correct, yeah. It's all, it's all contextual. That's fantastic. Uh, okay, so moving on to the first of the uh, the new updates then was the standard setting within tasks. Hmm. So now Jack talked us through this in the webinar and gave a, a very detailed demonstration Um one of the things that we can't do here, obviously, with it being a podcast, is give that same demonstration. But we'll do our best to explain a little bit about what's available. <clears throat> However, I do uh, recommend that you go and, and watch the webinar for, for more detail. And also, there was a, a webinar about a month before, wasn't there, where we had um, Phoebe, one of our product owners, who was in charge of putting this into the product, and Amanda Danis, a friend of this past team, is the mm-hmm. CEO and lead psychometrician at Dennis and Co. over in the US. Um, so th- there's plenty of other resources on standard setting if you want to really develop your knowledge. But for now, uh, the purpose of this podcast, Nathan, do you want to talk us through essentially what is standard setting, first of all, for people who don't know, might not have come across the term? Um, mm. I, I'm not sure if it's a very commonly known term within the UK. I, th- I think our American listeners should have a fair idea. But also, yeah. what is it about standard setting in surpass? That is so special, and because it, it's something that a lot of people already do, it's not something we've invented, is it? But no. it's the way that we've integrated it within the platform and enabled kind of remote working that I think is quite innovative, and the reason people are getting so excited about this. Yeah, so um, standard setting is—I um, mean, it's essentially about setting standards, right? So it's—it's it's an <laughs> existing—it's um, an existing system like outside of surpass that we've brought within within the system and it's a way of determining what your kind of 
So you could score, basically, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, what should your minimally competent candidates, how many of them should be getting a particular question right? What kind of scores should they be getting within a test? So it's about determining a cut score and saying, right, if they are below this standard that we've set, then, you know, they fail or they need to go and, you know, take a a baseline test or, or, or whatever it is that the um, organization want to want to do with that information. Right. So it's essentially about setting standards. And, and this has existed for a long time um, amongst um, psychometricians. And we've essentially integrated it with the tasks system within Surpass. So okay. how, um, how it works is you would have a collection of subject matter experts, um, SMEs, who would be given a series of questions and these would be questions that would would make up a test and they'll be shown a question and essentially asked for what we call an Angoff rating, which is a number out of a hundred that is essentially right. How many candidates or what percentage of candidates out of a hundred would, should be getting this correct. Right. Okay. So again, like you said, the minimal competency Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they'll be asked to put input that number. So they might look at the number and think, right, I, I think probably 65 out of a hundred candidates, um, should, mm. should be getting this correct. They'd put 65 in. And then depending on how the, the, um, standard setting task is, is created, they will either be moved on to the next question to give an Angoff rating for that, mm. or they might be asked to submit a revised Angoff rating where Surpass reveals ex- additional information about a particular question. So if right. it's been used in the past, it might say, right, you've said that 65 people will get this correct. But last year, 80% of people actually got it correct. And the year before that, you know, 75% of people got it correct. Hmm. So do you want to revise your Angoff rating at this point? Okay, so it's combining the the hard statistics, I suppose, with the experience. Like, I suppose, in a medical thing, you might say, "Well, yeah, eighty percent got it right last year," but actually, um, we've had new developments. So this year, I think only seventy five will, based on that. Then maybe it's a little easier than I thought it was. Exactly. Like yeah, maybe the research has changed. Maybe you have a, a weaker cohort or a stronger cohort of right. of candidates. There's there's lots of different reasons why why you might do that, and so. You get given this information and then an opportunity to revise your Angoff rating. And it's also just about, I guess, sort of strength of, of data as well. Because mm. if you, if you've not just, you know, you've got this collection of subject matter experts and if you're asking them to give their ratings twice, it, it, I, I suppose it just becomes a stronger piece of data, doesn't it? Where it's like, right, no, yeah. I've, I've had the opportunity to, re- in good scientific fashion to, you know, um, sort of revise all of the evidence and this is my revised rating hmm. um yeah so that so it, it, it creates stronger data and it's a really really useful tool and um, now the kind of second thing that you asked was about how we've integrated it into surpass hmm. um because everything that i've described so far is a, is fairly industry standard among psychometricians as i said right. so we we brought it into the tasks section of surpass so for a little bit of context, um, previously there were two, well, there was three types of tasks, two main ones, which were authoring tasks where you create new questions mm-hmm. and review tasks where you 
review the quality of those questions. You decide, right, are these fit for to be, you know, for candidates to take and should we make changes? So yeah, it's been added to that as almost like a third. As well, yes. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. No, no, no. I, yeah, you, you bang on there. Um, so the standard setting task is now almost like a third step in that process. So you've right. got item creation, item review, and now, right, can we create standards from these created items and reviewed items? Um, okay. So it, it fits quite quite nicely in there. So sorry, just to um, maybe expand on that a little, because you said we already mm. had the review, but this is different. So I suppose in the item review, that's where you'd have your peers might say, well, actually, you've marked, you know, this answer as being correct, but actually I disagree with that. And a group of uh, subject matter experts might get together to discuss whether or not the question is, is accurate or not, whereas the standard setting is about the the experts. And again, you can peer review, but um, people are coming together to say, that's the question, but I think this many people will get it right. So it's yeah, uh, just to differentiate in my own head, and um, because we're talking about this rather than demonstrating. So yeah, it's the both kind of review tasks in a way, aren't they? But one yeah. is reviewing to make sure the actual question is accurate, and the next one is to review to say how you know what sort of score should we give it? Exactly. Yeah. So a, a review task is about creating good content, right? That that yeah. that's all that is. It's about right. Is this question? You know, is it worded correctly? Does it have enough answer options? Do is the formatting of the text correct? It's just about making good, good content, good questions. Yeah. Whereas the standard setting task is more of a, it's more of a statistical thing. It's more about gauging candidates' performance rather than gauging the quality of a question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it. Once again, uh, you can tell that you're definitely on the. Uh, PCAT team. Put it far more <laughs> I've won awards, Ben, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, okay, so uh, one of the things that we talked um, about there, and you, you mentioned the ANGOF rating. So mm. my understanding, that that's just one type of standard setting, but there is a roadmap uh, to expand what is available in SPAS, isn't there, in terms of different settings? Yeah, so th- there are other rating methods. We, we mentioned it briefly in the... Um, in, in the webinar. So we yeah. already have plans in place. We've already refined a feature for adding um, Hofsti rating as well, which I'm not um, completely familiar with, but I know that the plans are in place. It's just more, it's just about whether yeah. users and customers actually want it. And so if there is anybody, if there are any customers listening that would be interested in that, or they use different kind of rating methods in their organization. I think if you speak to your account manager, they'd probably be able to give you uh, some more details about the ways that we could possibly, you know, bring that development forward a little bit. Absolutely. And if there's anybody listening um, who isn't already a, a Sapash user, uh, do feel free to get in touch. You can come to sapash.com forward slash contact. Reach, um, can't get my words on. Uh, you should find the standard contact form on there. That will come through to our business development team um, and the marketing team. And if you have questions, if you're interested in becoming a SPAS user but want to know more about these things, we can always communicate with the the product owner team. You know, they they know the roadmap inside out, don't they? They they have eyes on everything that's going on. Um, yeah. So there is definitely somebody you can reach out to that will have all of the the relevant information and will fully understand your your question. 
And yeah, and, so- and we want th- these features to be useful as well, right? Like we could add Hofsty, but if you know, if we if our customers don't want Hofsty and they want some other rating method, that's you know that would be no good for them. So we want Surpass to actually work for um, for our users. Exactly. I, I'm sat here as a marketer. I understand this pass. I understand the market, but I'm not an expert in psychometrics. That's why we have psychometricians. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I just want to be fully transparent here and say that you know there is a roadmap. There are more standards coming. However, please do talk to us. There, are, there are people uh, that are not recording this podcast right now, but they <laughs> do know everything that's going on, and we would be more than happy to talk to you offline about those things. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about the various settings that are coming. We talked a little bit about standard settings. There's also um, a few different settings within the task uh, so that you can actually tailor the, the method to your specific team and how the ratings work, the revised ratings, who has sight of the question, whether you see each mm. other's revised ratings, that kind of thing, isn't it? It's a really flexible system. Uh, but yes. again, I, I don't know if you can describe that now, Nathan, or if, if you'd say at this point that really is... The, the time to go and sit and watch Jack's section in the webinar. Yeah, I mean, I, I can touch on a couple of them, but you, yeah, you'd get the best experience by watching the webinar. So we've got settings around how um, your subject matter experts can navigate through the system. So whether they can do it forward only, whether they have to go through all of the questions and then back to the beginning, um, where which kind of types of information they're displayed after they've given their hang off rating there's it's a very customizable experience so if you are interested in seeing how customizable have a look at that 1223 webinar or the standard setting webinar um, from about a month ago brilliant stuff okay so moving on then um the next thing i've got on my list that you mentioned was the use of media within question types and i actually um I, I got quite excited by seeing this and just because I thought it, it looked lovely and opens up plenty of new options for multiple choice, match, uh, extended matching, that kind of thing. And that's using images as answer options in questions. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, um, possibly not the most podcast friendly of, of features. No, it's in the title there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, but essentially, so um, traditionally, most tests, when you sit down to take them, if you've got you know, multiple choice questions, it will be your, your question text and then four text answer options. And for yeah. a little while now, we've actually had for certain um, question types the ability to replace that text with an image. So you, you have, for a couple of releases, you've been able to do it with multiple choice, mm-hmm. multiple response. But we had a lot of requests from um, users for to have it in extended matching. So that's what we've added in 12.23. So an extended matching question, just to sort of set the scene a little bit, is when you have your question at the top and then essentially two columns of, of, of text, right? And it's match things from the left to things from the right. So if it was language, right, you'd match your German word on the left to the definition on the right. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um which works and it's, it's a very customizable question type, but it's not always the most fun to look at. Maybe it's not particularly accessible for some of your candidates. Yeah. And so we've now given you the option to replace that text with an image in, instead. So if I think the example that we used in the webinar was, was shapes, 
Maybe yes. you'd have the name of a shape and then an actual picture of the shape on the right hand side, and you could um, you could match them up like that rather than having the name of a shape and a description of the shape. Yeah, I, I think what you just said there about language testing that was going to be my um, my little go to if you hadn't already said it, was I think there's plenty of great opportunities here because, you know, when we immediately think about testing and where SPAS is used, we we tend to think the older end of the audience, I suppose, you know, people doing professional exams or general qualifications, that kind of thing. But actually, um, we know through sort of the things that are happening in, in, say, Wales at the moment with testing in schools, actually, if you're testing five-year-olds, you know, you, you need to adapt the test to accurately uh, reflect what what they should know and how they work, how their how their brains work. So, being able to put shapes and things into context as images could be really good for learners who are maybe dyslexic, for example, and just you know they can demonstrate yeah. the knowledge, but they, they just struggle with actually uh, reading their test, reading their question, as it were. Um, but for languages, you know, things like when I studied Japanese. Um, the actual written language is completely different to our Roman characters. Um, And a lot of Japanese testing in in the early stages, at least when you're learning the hiragana, katakana, that kind of thing is, you know, what sound does this symbol produce? Right. And um, I've noticed one thing when I've been doing uh, not Duolingo, but other similar things. I use Anki cards and that kind of thing, but Duolingo is probably a good example just so people know what what type of thing I'm referencing. Um, You know, it will say which of these is the car sound and then it'll all have things written underneath because that's the accessibility option. So it's like, well, you're not really Mm. testing me because I can see it's actually written (laughs) under the symbol that you're asking me to see anyway. Um, But yeah, being able to, you know, your example of German, I think, is spot on as well. You could have images with colour in them or you could have images of different shops or objects and things and then match these to words and, you know, tie all of that together with the the, uh, audio catch question types and that kind of thing. And you've got a really full suite there of uh, different things that you could use to create fantastic real-life real fidelity tests in a real, real settings. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think as well, often when, when I'm out speaking to users and, and speaking to awarding organizations, they, they can sometimes be quite hesitant to use images for um, other kind of accessibility reasons, right? right? Like if you have visually impaired candidates, they may not be able to access the test. But because we, within Surpass, um, every image that you add to the system um, has alt text support, right? Right. Yeah. So you and that kind of eliminates that that worry about accessibility. So you can upload your image, add the alt text, and that's what the the screen reader will will read out. Um, so you you know you don't need to to have as many concerns on on that end. So you can really make that test as as accessible as possible. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point as well. Um, I think we you know we mention accessibility a lot in webinars these days and the accessibility team I, I believe is just grown again as well so if that's something you know if that's a word that has piqued your interest um plenty of webinars and and podcasts that have been recorded recently to see a bit more about what we do within the product there um i think one of the things as well that we touched on in the webinar uh, again very hard to describe in a podcast because it is visual but uh, you you gave us a a quick reminder of how the media library actually works within the products didn't you and just I, I forget sometimes how easy it is to use because 
we've looked at um, you know other common interfaces that people have used, how they upload images to emails, things like that. We've brought all of that on board. So actually, uh, using the image library, getting the stuff into Surpass in the first place is is all part of that user experience. Um, one thing that does often come up when people are first using the platform uh, is the idea of media versus source material, Nathan. Could you just mm -hmm. give us a, a little quick um, explanation of, of what we what we count as media in Surpass rather than a source material? Yeah, so it, it is in many ways to do with how it's actually presented to the candidate. Um, everything that you, every kind of type of file that you can use as source material can also be used as media, I think mm. is one of the import, um, important things to, to get out there. Um, and generally you should be uploading something and using it as source material if it's absolutely kind of integral to understanding the question. Okay, right. so if you were, um, again, I said this in the webinar, but I, I, I used to teach English, and so I just always go to Shakespeare, like the most boring English <laughs> teacher in the Death world. Of Hamlet, I think, was the. Uh, <laughs> yes, the yeah, the, yeah. Um, and so if you know, if I'm asking a Shakespeare question of my candidates, and I'm referring to a specific scene, they need that scene. So that scene would have to be uploaded as source material because yes. it's absolutely essential for an answering that the question. The actual written script you're referring to there, it, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Whereas if I just wanted a nice picture in there um, that just sort of made it a bit more visually appealing but wasn't essential to the question, I would add that as media because it, it, it's not integral to the um, to the assessment. Yeah, and um, and I think that that's also true of things like the high fidelity image viewer, isn't it? You know, you, you upload a source material because then it allows us to have these massive uh, resolution images that are integral to the question that people are answering. Exactly. That kind of thing. Very good. Um, okay, so that then brings us on to the, the final subject, which now I've written down here as uh, item set media, but I believe you called it something else at the start there. So I, I picked up on a word from the webinar there when <laughs> writing my notes, Nathan, but can you uh, give us your more detailed explanation? What, what was the final thing you talked about? Um, so the last thing, well, actually there's, there's kind of two things. Um, so one thing that's related to the media that we were just talking about is item set media, mm -hmm. which is the ability to add media to an item set that will then be inherited by all of the items that are added to that set. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for context, an item set is a collection of items where if you add one of them to a test, it will bring in all of the other ones. They have to exist alongside each other in the test. Yep. So the example I always use is if you've got um, a question in multiple parts. So question 3A, 3B, 3C. You never want a situation where you add 3C to a test and it doesn't have 3A and 3B before it. So, so you would add all of those to an item set. Going to, back to, to Shakespeare reference, I guess 3C might be, and what did Hamlet do after he was murdered? And you'd be like, well, hang on a second, where did that mm -hmm. come from? You know, you need yeah. A and B to say, right, what point led to Hamlet getting murdered? How was he murdered? Yeah, and, exactly. He wouldn't so you be can... much after being murdered, would he? <laughs> That's, uh... Well, not to correct you, Ben, but it was actually Polonius that was being murdered in that in that um, 
image. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, um, there you go. Showing um, myself up as someone who you... does not know Shakespeare. <laughs> I apologise to any uh, fellow English grads out there. <laughs> you can't see, but I'm just in. fixing my glasses on my nose as I say <laughs> that. Um, yeah, so it, so I can now add media to the item set and question 3a 3b 3c will inherit that media so that media will be part of those questions um, and i don't need to do it for each of those questions individually it's something that we've done for other aspects of item sets um, so we've done it with text we've done it with certain item settings and so it's just a kind of extension of of that so inherited media in item sets yeah. so that was kind of the the first thing mm-hmm. um the the second thing um, is related to item search. Okay. So um, in 12.22, which is the release before this one, um, we completely overhauled the item search screen. So it was it, it, it worked well before, but we added Boolean search to really kind of bring it to the next level in 12.22. So you can right. have and and or operators, you can search by you know dozens of criteria um and it was became a really really powerful tool in 1222 yeah i believe uh, was it ruth and ashley who presented the the mm. 1222 webinar gave quite a detailed explanation of of that didn't they when it was added? yes yeah yeah they did they, they they did a really good job with that um and we've just carried on adding to it so a lot of the um search parameters that were added in 1222 were inclusive Okay, so it was, okay, show me items that have Shakespeare in them somewhere. Mm. Show me items created by Ben. Whereas in 12.23, we've added the um, ability to exclude things from search results. So instead of show me items that contain Shakespeare, you can now say, right, show me items that do not contain Shakespeare. I don't want to see Shakespeare ever again. I don't want to see items created by Ben ever again. Um, and, <laughs> I've sorry. had that much effect on you just by... by <laughs> <You've>, <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Um, so you, you can you can exclude things from search results now, um, which is... It, it sounds like a small addition, but it means that you can really refine and, and drill down into those search results in a way that you couldn't do in, in 12.22 and, and earlier. So that's... That's a really handy, um, a really handy feature. Absolutely, yeah. Like, like you say, it sounds very quick to describe, but to a user, I can imagine there are loads of people out there now who are just kind of clapping their hands together, enjoy thinking, "Oh, this <laughs> is going to make you know my my workflow so much more efficient." Um, yeah, and with it being a, a boolean select as well, you can have and and or and things, couldn't you? So you could say like, in one sitting, you could say, "Don't show me." items including Shakespeare or items written by Ben. So even if I've written about uh, Keats, for example, mm-hmm. they wouldn't show up either. I'm, I'm just, I've, I've let you all down with my English knowledge. You just don't want <laughs> anything to do with me, but you, you didn't want Shakespeare in the first place. So, so that's fine. Um, one of the things that I often think is is worth just reminding for anybody who's not overly familiar with uh, Surpass at this point, maybe there are new users to it. We talk about item sets. You hear that sometimes referred to as, uh, well, friend and enemy items, don't you, colloquially? So Mm -hmm. um, an item set, just again, I rely on you to tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but an item set is essentially what we would call friendly items. If this one is in the test, make sure you show this one. Yes, Um, correct. And whereas the the enemy items are um, 
the, quite the opposite, really. We say if this item is in a test, then do not use this item because it might give away the answer to a late question or, or something like that. So very yeah. easy to set up in the in the back end there just by flicking a switch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Brilliant. And uh, the other thing that I've got here, there's just two points that I'll finish on then as we start to wrap up today. Um, the item set media, even if you set that, you can still apply individual media to a unique item within the set, can't you? Yep, exactly. So it would have the inherited media from the item set, but then it could have its own media on top of that that wouldn't appear in the other items in the set. Yeah, so you're not restricted. You don't need to create a duplicate item to to add extra stuff to it. You can just um, add all that on top. And then the other thing that we did touch on uh, was the bulk item tag update. Yes. uh, Yes. By uh, name and ID number, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, so this was functionality that was available previously, um, mm. but we've just massively improved the UI around it after talking to after talking to users. Mm-hmm. So, bulk update is a or bulk update of tags is a way of on mass adding certain tag values to items or removing those tag values from items. And previously, it the dialogue to do that it was a bit cumbersome i suppose there was a lot of scrolling one too many drop downs you it was hard to tell it was over time wasn't it i think it was developed yeah, and at the completely. time it made sense it worked with what people needed it to do but again things evolve exactly as tags has has grown and become a more powerful bit of functionality it you know bulk update needed to grow with it yeah. Um, and so that's what 1223 is, is bringing. So it's a refreshed interface. Instead of scrolling, it's more of a two panel layout now. And all of the information that you could possibly want during that process is kind of easily accessible, visible. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a much, a much neater process. Great stuff. Okay. So before I wrap up today, Nathan, is there anything else that you specifically wanted to talk about? You don't want to mention your award again, anything like that? <laughs> um, I, I will mention that award as as often as you would like me to, Ben. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's it, it. It is a big thing for um, for our team and, and for the com- for the wider company. So if anyone does want to have a look, just a quick reminder: it's help.sapass.com or the question mark on any on any page in Sapass. Brilliant! Thank you very much for your time today, Nathan. So just before we go, if you are listening to this uh, ahead of time. We do have a special event that we're running this year ahead of uh, Christmas or the the winter holidays. We're going to run a virtual Christmas market where we've invited some independent uh, crafters and sellers. And the idea is that, uh, you know, it's been a bit of a bleak year. We try not to mention it too much, but um, we'd like to get everyone together just for something that's a little bit more normal and a little bit of socializing. So if you head along to surpass.com forward slash events, You'll see the information about the Christmas market on there. It's Thursday, the 26th of November. Um, And there are also a couple of other webinars coming up. So we have um, a webinar mainly for the UK audience on our test center network and what is available over here. But of course, everyone is welcome to join that. That is at 10 a.m. on the 3rd of December. And we also are planning in a webinar which will focus primarily on accountancy and finance functionality within SPAS. We're just in the final stages uh, of uh, getting some guest speakers 
signed up for that one. So at the time of recording this podcast, it, it will be happening, but we're still in the planning process. But again, you can go to surpass.com forward slash events if you want to find out more details about that. And of course, any other upcoming webinars and podcasts uh, will be posted on there as well. So thank you very much once again for listening. If you're already a SPAS community member, um, you know any questions you've got today based on this, you can get in touch with your account manager. And if you are not a SPAS user, feel free to get in touch with us using the contact page on our website or through any of our social media channels. We're always happy to help, always happy to talk about these subjects with you. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. To keep up to date with the latest information from our Surpass community, visit Surpass.com. We'll be back with another podcast soon. Thank you for listening.